You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 141. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. This is the second part of my interview with the amazing Fred Tatashore. Fred is probably most famous for voicing the character of the Incredible Hulk in numerous animated and video game incarnations. Some of Fred's other familiar characters include Zeratul in the StarCraft franchise, Master Shifu in the animated TV series Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesomeness, and one of my personal favorites, Soldier 76 in the game Overwatch. In the previous episode, Fred and I talked about how he broke into voice acting. I was blown away by both the breadth and depth of his knowledge and expertise. Not only was he developing and refining his performance skills from an early age, but he was also expanding his graphic design abilities and his understanding of animation. Fred has an incredibly well-rounded educational background, which has been invaluable to him as both a voice actor and as a comedian. In this episode, we discuss how Fred is able to play so many different types of characters. A hint. It has far more to do with understanding the psychological center of a character than it does with producing crazy vocal sounds. Fred and I also talk about what inspired him to become a performer in the first place. I always think it's useful to explore not only how a successful voice actor applies their craft, but also why they were motivated to pursue acting as a career. When you discover what muse guides a performer you admire, it can help you find your own inspiration as well. So without further ado, here's Fred. And now, the feature segment. And I don't know if this is the case for you, but I have found that in the, some of the characters that I'm best known for are ones that I had the deepest psychological understanding of. Yes. That it wasn't because I had the right pitched voice or could do the right accent. Totally. It was because I was so deep in their psyche that what came out of me was so much more authentic. You better is, believe it. Has that been your experience oh, too? completely. Granted, uh, I play a lot of characters that are very far from my own personality, mm-hmm. but I've had to, especially some, some of these guys, I've had demons and stuff, I've had to really dial in and like get to their point of view. Yeah. Um, but I would say most of us have pieces of ourselves in each of these characters. But like Hulk, for example, that's huge for me. Uh, you know, sometimes I play Banner, sometimes I don't, you know, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and we've had great banners through the years, and <laughs> and we have. It's really been interesting, fun. Um, but Hulk, yeah, I've had to grow from that experience. That was a very big thing for me mm-hmm. to go from this monster to like someone who just wanted to be left alone, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it wasn't just about being angry. Yeah, it's just like you know, because no, that's the big, it, oh, well, if I just scream loud, I can have a job. Then you'll just be scary, <laughs> you know, right? loud. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get paid if I can just scream as loud as yeah. the people playing. And it's like no, 
They oh. don't know the years that you went through of, oh my God, stand-up comedy? I've only done that like once or twice <laughs> in my life because it scared the hell yeah, out of me. Yeah, it's very scary. But the, the, the fact that you have the expertise, the courage to go up and, and do that kind of stuff and that that informs performances that you're doing in voice acting, I mean, that's huge. I think that's the, that's the, the, the um, iceberg under the water that people don't see they don't realize is informing. Yeah, they, they just they hear your Hulk and they go, "Oh, that's amazing!" Right, and it's like, well, "Could you realize the years of marinating?" <laughs> you know, in gamma juice. No, that, but it's true. Yeah, like you, you, you. Thank you. You know, but you have to. Uh, yeah, there's some comedy definitely in Hulk always, and it's his quiet times that's mm-hmm. even more important than the yelling. Yeah, and so that's the thing that people you, you start to to realize like, what can I bring to this thing that's going to give it you know, a human presence or something. Yeah, it's like the story. Sp- Spock isn't always emotionless. It's no. when Spock starts to show emotion that we get in the same way that Hulk is not always Great smashing. Great example. There's, there's going to be times when Hulk's going to be quiet, and that's our window into who he is yeah. really about. Yes. And I, too, play characters. I mean, I, I end up playing a lot of dark, gothic vampires. Perfect. And I'm not terribly dark and brooding, right? Like, I'm much far but you more can play English that. patient, you know, Ray Fiennes, you know. <laughs> totally. Oh, yes, right, Lawrence Arabia. Yes. Um, but, but I had to learn how to think like them yes. if I was going to be able to play them effectively. And when you do that, are you thinking just like, what's, the, what's their point of view? You know, that's the key with acting. It's like, who are they? What are they? What do they want? Yeah, I'm usually, Why are they a protagonist in their own story, right? I'm, I'm usually trying to find their itch. Their itch. Right? Like, what's the thing that they scratch that, that bugs them, that they want to they get at? I like it's that. Like, for instance, I play this one vampire called Alucard in this anime series called Helsing. Yes, and, you do. And, and yeah. it's, this, it's this sort of Quentin Tarantino vampire with guns sort yeah. of sensibility. And because of that, a lot of people look at the character as a really big power fantasy. Like, I'd love to be as powerful and as immortal and as, Mm -hmm. you know, so that I could tear my enemies apart just like Alucard does. Mm -hmm. And when people ask me, you know, what do I think about Alucard? I think this man is tortured. he, He made this deal with the devil because he was, spoilers, being raped by the sultan and he felt powerless and now he's he's laid waste to all of his enemies, and he's incredibly bored. Mm-hmm. He's got no one to play with who's as powerful as him, yeah. and now he questions his decisions. And I, and they think, wouldn't it be great to be Alucard? No. no. You would not want to go through the trauma this man has gone through. And there comes a point where he actually wants to be defeated. Yeah. But he wants to be defeated by a human. He doesn't want to be defeated by another monster. He wants a, the humanity to defeat the decisions he made. I mean, he's really, he's, he's messed what up. What happens if he gets defeated then? I think then if I think he feels that if he's been uh, properly defeated, then he gets his appropriate Ragnarok. Okay. A story doesn't have any meaning until it ends. I see. Right. That's why Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns gives yeah. Batman this meaning that we never had before right. that, right. because you know how the world ends. Okay. And then you understand what Thor in Ragnarok, if Thor dies fight, fighting, you know. The serpent or whatever, that's, that's Thor to a T, you know? Yeah. And so you have to sort of end a story to give it meaning. And I think Alucard wants an end to his story. And he yeah. wants the story to have a meaning that humanity triumphs, not demonic forces. Wow. 
even though he's the representative of those demonic forces. Right, but he's taking it down. Yeah. He wants to take it down. And so, but, <clears throat> but that sort of level of trying to really grok where a character mm-hmm. is coming from is, I think, what anyone who's into acting or storytelling is really... And you could be a writer or a director and be that into Oh, yeah, it's all part of the same storytelling. Yeah, yeah. but that, that you want to get to the, the roots of it and not just the two-dimensional bad guy mm-hmm. or the two-dimensional hero. Right. I mean, I think that's why Soldier 76 is so compelling to me, is because I can feel the disappointment. Yeah. I can feel the re- being embittered and trying to resist the embitterment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, wow, you got that. Good. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, he's been betrayed. Yeah. And, and and what's the worst is he was really part. He was really the team leader. He was the team leader. He was part of the whole group that betrayed him. And now he has to. He's gone rogue, right? He's he's doesn't really know who to trust, or he does a little bit. But he's now there as a world citizen. He's no longer working for this one. I mean, he'd love Overwatch to be back, but he's now right. just. His own one-man army. Yeah. One-man army. I mean, and, yeah. they did this with Captain America. Yes. Where he got disillusioned and became nomad for a while. That's right. And, and that, so, I, yeah. It's one of I the things that. I love about Wonder Woman, too, is that she's, she has no allegiance other than to really just the good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so now he's, he, Soldier 70, Jack Morrison is about uh, the dispossessed. Yeah. And he's going to protect them. Yeah. On that level. And then he's going to get to the bottom of this other thing. But in the meantime, he's going to see, like, what's going on now. Yeah. And I have these abilities that I can do this. You're right, super soldier, just like a, a Captain America. I'm allowed, yeah. to, I'm allowed to do this, so why not do it? Mm-hmm. And that makes him a little less, actually a little looser. As gritty as he's gotten, he's mm-hmm. gotten even more like, all right, well, let's see what happens. You know, like mm-hmm. he's a little more, um, where he was more of a f- tried and true soldier. By the mm-hmm. rules, by the book. And then it just kind of kind of went away. And the people who respond, I got to tell you, and this is probably one of the best parts of what we do. The people who respond, you know, when, I, when a military person comes up and says, thank you for... Wow. I know, sorry, I'm going to get something in my eye here. <laughs> you know, thank you for honoring this, giving this a voice, doing this. You know, and I think you're doing it for real. Yeah. You're the one, right. I think. Not yeah. me. I'm working this way. You know, I, you know yeah. you're doing this. Um, someone just, at, uh, you know, in Calgary came up to me and um, she said, you know, this reminds me of my dad who just passed away. Mm. And she and I are just, you know, <laughs> tears. And yeah. I said, you know what? I'm going to think of your father, Brian, every time I do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and like that's because that's who he was and who he is. And this is what we can honor. Yeah. And when you think that somebody is getting through this or whatever it is, soldiering on. Who knew Overwatch would be this? Yeah. I mean, the fact that it takes a team, you know, and maybe you might be in a country that has let you down or maybe you're not into who's in charge, but maybe I can connect to someone in Korea or France or, you know, maybe we can think and be world citizens and solve our stuff. Yeah. You know. I mean, I know I'm not, I'm not trying to make something out of a shoot 'em up thing because he is a shoot 'em up, you know, and a healer. <laughs> but I want to make a whole thing about that. But that I think is what's what's getting people on this game. Yeah. It's become a cultural phenomenon, and I'm so honored to have a small part of that. But more than that, just for people to say, "Hey, you got me through some bad times," or uh, "Wow, um, this really meant something to me," and and I, I'm I'm. I'm not only escaping from some of the issues in my life, but maybe I'm kind of getting encouraged 
process. To take on things. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of Optimus Prime. Yeah. And the way that, uh, I think it was Peter Cullen's brother, wasn't it, who told him, don't, don't make, when, Op- when Peter Cullen was auditioning for Optimus Prime, his brother was a Vietnam vet and said, don't just make him the Lone Ranger, right? Don't make him this two-dimensional figure. Not that there aren't three-dimensional portrayals of the Lone Ranger. I'm sure there are somewhere. Right. But don't, don't make him a cardboard cutout. Yeah. Give him heart. Make him a true hero. Wow. Which means that he has responsibility and he might even have guilt if things didn't go the way he wanted them to go. I never heard that story. And I, I love Peter Cullen in that. And that's, that's amazing. That's yeah. perfect. And that's what makes uh, – um, my wife said this and I thought it was brilliant. She said that Optimus Prime is both father and mother to the Autobots. Yes. Because you could cry on his shoulder. Yes. Right. I mean, it would be hard and metal, but you could, you, like, you could, you could, you could imagine yourself being emotionally vulnerable, absolutely, in front of uh, Optimus Prime. Oh yeah. And I bet when Jack takes off the visor, you could do the same thing with Soldier Seventy Six. Oh, he is. He's a complete. It's he's a complete softy. I know people yeah. wouldn't like to hear that because you'd think he's more embittered, and it, it, the embitterment comes from the bitterness comes from I've seen too many people die. Yeah, and if you're not playing right, you're not doing the right thing. I'm like the whole I'm not your father is just like that's, but I am your daddy. It's basically, <laughs> I, it's, it's basically like I'm I'm not going to be here. I need you to take care of yourself. I need you to get this together. The reason he's tough is because he really cares about his team. He always has. Yeah. And so deep down inside, he, he, he wants to save the world. Yeah. And he cares about everybody. Again, Optimus Prime's a great example. I think he was a librarian, like Optimus Prime, right? Was there, or at oh. least a caretaker of something. He wasn't yeah. necessarily supposed to be this... This warrior was yeah. he? I, I, I mean, I, I believe that, and you know, uh, and maybe uh, I don't know enough uh, well, about the Lord. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying he's not really a, like that's what was so great. It was a, a, an unusual mantle for him to have to wear. Yeah, you know, whereas Megatron is a showman who is yeah. like he's the he's the um, you know he should be in the Colosseum. Yeah. He deserves this. Gladiator. And I've had to play him once, and yeah. it was like to me the, the point of view was I'm really pissed off at the amount of people that are trying to betray me, mm-hmm. right? And I deserve so much more, mm-hmm. you know, like than the stupid, you know, like, and, and like you have to feel like entitled, yeah. you know, whereas Optimus Absolutely. is not entitled. He's just, yeah. he wants everyone to flourish in the universe, you yeah. know what I mean? In all different parts, yeah, yeah. you know, and I think uh, that's kind of, and you know, it's funny, uh, Zeratul was like that too. Jack Ritchell oh. was the original actor, brilliantly played that, and unfortunately he passed away, and I had big claws to fill. And Zeratul, I call him the good Darth Vader. He was he wanted all the universe to exist, you oh. know, and and he would he broke from his tri- his people because they wanted a different thing. Yeah. And he was so it's it's I um I think Jack Morrison, Soldier seventy six is is yeah he is he wants to promote the good mm-hmm. you know yeah. he's completely not interested in war wow. you know amazing. yeah <laughs> he didn't start this war but he'll damn well finish it <laughs> nice yes <laughs> so i want to switch gears for just a moment sure because all that discussion about the psychology of the characters is really rich and i really hope that my podcast listeners are appreciating how much you and i and anyone who is doing this on this level care 
about representing these stories oh, well yeah. and these characters well. I mean, there's just there's this anyone who's any good at this who's with their salt. There's no ego involved. It's just how do we make this the best it can possibly be? You know. Right. Um, I want to go back though to talk about what inspired you. Right. Like, what was that spark when you were young? This may be tricky. But what was that spark that inspired you to start recording yourself and start doing all of this stuff? Okay. I loved, let's start with uh, my art. Okay. What comes to my mind is my my stepmom had got me these books that were museum books. (laughs) And I got really interested in all these old, like, paintings and, and stuff. And that stimulated me. Um... My mom, and then I had another family. I, I lived with my mom, and we had a period of time back in this is like in the seventies where we were in a hippie commune. Together. Oh wow! And nice. there was a lot of R. Crumb. <laughs> oh, Robert Crumb. That. Robert Crumb was yeah, great, yeah. and that I, too young to be reading it, but I did. And yeah. uh, that that I, I was I exploded. I was like, wow, this is so interesting, and and the the, the nonlinear. I was more into the nonlinear stuff that he did, you know. Okay. And um, for those who don't know, Robert uh, Crumb is an independent uh, comic book creator, yeah. very popular in the '60s and '70s. Mm-hmm. The keep on trucking uh, yeah. thing and whatnot. And there's a great documentary about him too. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And I mean, this is not voiceover, but it was just these things just were like great ideas. Ideas. I was looking at different characters, and then I got so into oh, all the comedians. You know, um, uh, George Carlin did an album called "A Place for My Stuff." I was really into all of his stuff, mm-hmm. but he did this thing where he just had these little audio bits in between the pieces that I thought yeah. were just so funny, <laughs> and um, you know, uh, gosh, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, Hey, why don't you join the service? Join the service. Why don't you join up and die? You know, like, you know, just like, totally, he would just do these, like, public service announcements. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I'm dead. I died in World War II. You know, uh, and, um, you know, he was, no, he did, and I, I was so fascinated with, you know, Steve Martins and the, the Robin Williams and, you know, Richard Pryor and, and Eddie Murphy and all those guys, you know. And I, um, uh, and I just got so, uh, and yes, Bill Cosby, isn't that so sad? Yeah. I know. And so all of those things, um, what got me into what spot? I think I just thought I just want to make that kind of music always interested me too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I've gotten in. So I told you, you know, I got into art like Escher and mm-hmm. Dolly and all those guys and then com- comedians. And then I loved, you know, all kinds of music. Pink Floyd was very visual to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I and Hendrix and all these different uh, bands heard growing you up. Do a good Hendrix impression. Oh yeah, baby! You know, here we are. We're doing a podcast here with Chris Man. <laughs> all right, here. A lot of people may not even know who I'm talking about right now, but all right, here we go. Um, and I just I, things just inspired me visually, yeah. and um, uh, audio, I found that I was so taken with audio and visual together as a unit. Like, I, I, I they call it synchrony, you know, where, where oh. people used to paint sounds. Okay. And so even when I do voices, I'm thinking of shapes of what we're talking about, you wow. know? Yeah, and and because uh, what we do is very musical, even yeah, though absolutely. it's theater. Yeah. It's, it's, it has a, a certain measure you have to kind of keep with. And yeah. uh, even though it may not be musical, per se, but it's, it's a, an emotional 
calculus. Well, <laughs> it's an emotional rhythm. Yeah. yeah, it's something I say to my students sometimes. When I, they'll do a line, and I'll give them some direction, and they'll do the line again, but the melody of their performance has not changed. Mm -hmm. Now, something may have changed on their face, mm -hmm. and if we were on camera, that would read that it changed. Mm -hmm. But I have to go, you have to sort of think about this like music. If the melody of how you say the line doesn't actually change, mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like you took the direction. Right. It doesn't sound like you actually are changing your acting intention. And they're like, oh my God, really? I'm like, yeah, you're sort of an instrument now. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. So you've got Isn't this it? really sort of synesthesia thing. Yeah, I going love on. that. Lori Anderson did that. Remember her? She was a performance oh, yeah. artist, and I was really into that. She, was, she did that so well, and I thought, that's the kind of comedy I want to do. I wanted to do, I wanted to do, so comedians thought I did performance art and performance artists like, oh, you're a comedian. Yeah. You know, like it was really funny. I could never fit it in anywhere. And I, sure. I tried it with rock and roll bands. You know, I had friends that I, I recorded with and we did in monologues to music and stuff. And I, I kind of uh. just got into that. That was the zone that really sparked me. And I, I, it's a weird thing. And I don't know if you ever experienced this, but you see and hear what you want. Like, uh, like what it should be, but you've never seen anything quite like it. Like, or yeah. you can't equate it to anything else. Yeah. You know, like I kind of got this, it, it, you know, so it, it's this weird thing of like, it's always just around the corner out of reach and I want to get it. And I, and I feel like sometimes I get reins of it uh -huh. and I get, uh, I, I have done it a little bit, yeah. you know, but I haven't done it the full out measure that I, I want to do it. Wow. And that's just, that's just been my own path as, as an as independent artist. Yeah. But what sparked me was just good work, good films, you know, good, good television, good, just listening to, uh, and you wanted to create Mel that as Brooks, well. you know what? Yeah. Well, I mean, plenty of people watch that and they're just consumers of it, right? They, they right. Might appreciate it. They might even collect it, yeah. but they're not inspired to actually try to make it themselves. Yeah. Like you were inspired to then take the ridiculous and make it yourself. Right. <laughs> right. And was, <laughs> you hope it works out. And, and sometimes it worked. Sometimes yeah. it works. But mm -hmm. uh, from, from, and, and it's interesting too, that you say you're an introvert because I am one as well. And most people would find that odd I know. that a performer would be an introvert instead of an extrovert. I know. Um, so how does that, how did that work for you? I mean, if, 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 what does it mean to you to be an introvert first? Uh, well, okay, growing up, I was, uh, in, uh, people would never believe this. I was very shy. I kind of felt like a gray blob waiting to grow up. Like I always <laughs> wanted to be, I always wanted to be something else. Yeah. You know, and I'd hear an accent and like, I'd really like to be British. But the problem is, is if you're doing that, people will actually believe you, you right. know, or they may not, you know, yeah. but like now you're just a crazy person, you know, yeah. like, why would you do this? You know? Um, so I, I just always was trying on other things. I thought I was more presentable. I know I, I had a lot of, I don't know why when I was a kid, I thought this is going to sound so dumb because it was the seventies and I had, by the way, great support from parents and yeah. like, right. Love. I was wanted and encouraged. So there was no, like, I felt like, I was invisible. Like I literally could go anywhere, and as, and when in those days you could walk uh -huh. around, you know, as long as you're home by supper. Right. <laughs> you know, today you'd never have a kid walking on a construction site. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? We used we to stop playing in traffic, Fred. I know, I did. <laughs> no, I used to walk around. They're like, so who is this kid? I would just, I, I would leave school, you know, thinking like, I just want to check stuff out. And I was, yeah. I was so checked out of reality for like, until I was about 12. I was really checked out. Like, I, wow. I was just doing my own thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, then I got interested in, 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 in science and studies and stuff like the history and, and like, what, oh, knowledge is cool. Yeah. Then I became a, a perpetual student yeah. to this day. Okay. Yeah. But 
early years, I, I kind of felt like I could just, I didn't, I didn't have a think knowledge that I could be noticed and, and not in a bad way. I was okay with that. Yeah. I kind of liked kind of just being like a ghost, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I realized, no, you actually have an effect. People do see you. You have to respond. <laughs> damn. You know, yeah, damn it. <laughs> I was invisible. Yes. You know? um, I remember trying to absolutely convince a, a, a kindergarten teacher that I was a ghost in a, a, like a sheet, you know. <laughs> and that was maybe my first performance. Oh, wow. Because kids were laughing. At all. I yeah. was serious. I was yeah. going, I'm not going in. Yeah, <laughs> like it was totally legitimate that I could do that, and that's why it's funny because you were so serious. About I was it. serious. Yeah. Oh, I was so serious. And 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 later on, I I, I was still kind of shy and quiet, but I would do the stupid impression. Yeah, impersonate a teacher or a priest or something. You know, like the, and yeah. people would that wow. would give me attention, yeah. and it was positive, and it the the bullies responded, and you know, like I could I could do things. It was special. You yeah. know, and, and, but I was not a uh, loudmouth guy in class. There were other guys that did that better. Yeah. You know, sure. even my comedy, I was very unaggressive. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm going to do a recorded bit. You know, I'm going to play a tape and act something out with. <laughs> so it was terrible if you were like an open mic night. You know, it was yeah. better for a theater. Yeah, yeah. You know, where people are there to see you as opposed to like, what's he doing? You know, wow. that's when I got into like making noise and doing voices because it was like, that's an instrument. That's a place where you can, even if someone tries to interrupt you, it doesn't matter. You're still going to play through. So how in the world did you as an introvert start getting into stand-up and improv? I used to be really, you know how it is when you're on stage, it's different. You're playing a persona. And and also, if you can be funny, if you can try to play a part or do a bit, you're jumping into something Mm -hmm. rather than, like, this would have taken, a few years ago, more guts for me to just, t- I mean, not talk to you as a friend, but I'm uh-huh. saying, realize that, you know, thousands of people are listening, you know, <laughs> you know and I'm talking about my life. Yeah. I always think I'm going to sound like a, 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 a tool, you know, like uh, a complete, okay. yeah, like, oh, I'm always worried how I, I my own, how I come off as myself. Uh, Whereas okay. if I'm playing a part, I've, I've got that sort of mask mentality you yeah. know where it's like oh no i can i can i can wear that so it gives you a freedom but my visor yeah know, exactly. tactical <laughs> visor is operated yeah yeah exactly i've got you in my sense. i do yeah <laughs> but do you know what i mean yeah. i don't know do you experience that too or i certainly i think that i mean it, it's interesting you talk about this notion of being invisible i certainly when i was younger felt like i was so vanilla Right, that there wasn't anything special about me mm-hmm. because I wasn't British or I, I didn't have some quirk or something that made me unique. I was like every other straight white boy. I Are mean, you like, studious? Uh, very studious. Yeah. Um, and and so uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't get it. And and for me, what I did is I fell in love with creating the illusion. So my family was heavily involved in the opera in Chicago. Oh, wow. And so, and my grandfather was the legal counsel for the opera and commissioned the critical editions of all of Verdi's operas. And so as a young kid, they wanted me to be a supernumerary, an extra in the opera. And of course, I was way too scared when I was in middle school, you know, like 12, whatever. But eventually, they took me backstage and I fell in love with being backstage. Like watching people go up an elevator, come down, and they would look like Henry VIII. Yeah. And I thought, this is cool, right? Yeah. And so I fell in love with that. And then the commitment to being able to tell a story and to portray a character well was more important and outweighed whatever fears I had 
of being shy and mm-hmm. everything else. Because I could say, well, I'm doing this in the service of the character, the mask, the story. And so therefore I can get my courage to go up and do this. But like you, I would, uh, if you'd asked me to just get up and talk as myself, I would have freaked out, which is why improv terrified me. Well, it, improv is scary in that way, but you're still jumping into a game. Okay. You're, but yeah, but you're right. I had a teacher. I, I, did you know? So you learned that on your own. I had a great acting teacher named John Ingle when I was an, a teenager, who who really like got me through that like weird shyness that I had to be on stage and and just the idea of like no, just play the part. Uh-huh. You know, improv is terrifying because it can go wrong. <laughs> I, you know, like 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 you know. I mean, you could just go, oh, well, we, we just landed. Now, what I learned recently from being in a vocal improv group was that if we're going to fail, let's fail hilariously. Like, yeah. let's just make it so bad that yeah. it's funny, you know. Yeah. But but you're right. It's um, Improv can be very hmm, daunting, and it's the guys, the people who do it, it's like anything else. Uh, it's there's rules. There there are certain things that they've done to kind of put in place for you to get your mindset in and, mm-hmm. and to go forward. Yeah, there are people who are just masters at it. Yeah. You know, just ridiculous masters at it. And you just think, I just I bow. You know, I go mm-hmm. wow. But that um, that's a great skill to learn, though, for being an actor and voice actor. Absolutely, it's great for that. How uh, do you find that it helps your voice acting the most? Uh, it helps me riff. I, I can't tell you how many times, like today, I've had to ad lib. Like there'll be seven lines, even in the game, and they'll mm. give me three lines of ad lib, oh, uh, wow. or or uh, uh, which is very kind of unusual for a game. But I, I was about certain, to say certain characters that, that they you start to be known for that you're allowed to do stuff. Uh, so you were uh, you were working on a vi- we can't talk about no, the video game, but you I don't were remember wor- it. You were working on a video game that was dramatic, mm-hmm. right? Because in a com- comedic. I mean, there aren't that many comedic No, games. but I miss them. But, but you know, <laughs> in, in a comedy, you can see where improv yeah. would be useful. Yeah. But in a dramatic storytelling, whether it's a game or an mm. animated show or whatnot, it, the improv is tougher because the drama has been structured in such a way that if you, you deviate too far, you could mess up plot points. Absolutely. But in this game, which was dramatic, they wanted you to improv. Mm-hmm. Now, that's fascinating. Because it's just particular to a character. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I would say in most animation comedies, mm-hmm. uh, you're right. When we do dramas, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, animation comedies, they, they sometimes will love you to riff. Yeah. I've learned, always give as written, exactly, and say, I have an idea. Can I play around with this? Yeah. Some will say no, <laughs> very rarely. Yeah. Or they'll say yeah and not use it. Yeah. Or some will say, please. Please do whatever you just do it. Be brilliant, yeah, or just be funny, or just play. And sometimes you're going to play off somebody. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, a lot of the the uh, a lot of the stuff for Nickelodeon Cartoon Network are, are we, there was a lot of improv going on, like ba- banter back yeah. and forth. Not so much co- complete created scenes. Yeah, yeah, but just. Uh, yeah, you, you you'll discover some business. Zingers. Yeah, you'll discover some business. Yeah, you, we'll do like a first pass, and then we used to do a crazy. Then we'll do a crazy, crazy pass, pass, which is just anything they could use later on that that would work. So, how did you overcome the fear of doing improv? Because that's a big thing that I my students face. Yeah, never did. I think I just did it anyway. <laughs> like stand up. I, I don't think I ever went. I, I think there's good fear and bad fear. There's crippling fear. It's like theater. Nice. Okay. As Anthony Hopkins used to say, there. Did you get nervous he's like why would i get nervous I'm doing my thing i'm doing what i do mm-hmm. but there are some nerves that propel you 
mm-hmm. and some that pr- cripple you. Yeah, paralyze. Yeah, you. and you have to paralyze you. Yeah, and so you have to then say, okay, I'm going to let this flow. I think when I did this voiceover uh, uh, voiceover improv group, uh, it was very fun, and we had a little podcast, and we did these things shows. I had to relearn of how to just let it go. Where I, I'm always of the mindset, I always think like a writer. I always think, I got the, my written improv ready. Right. That's what a lot of it. You know, it's like, oh, I got this idea. I got this thing, 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 thing. And that's great. But sometimes you have to, you don't have that time. And sometimes if I'm acting off of you, I may have something prepared, but you're going to throw something at me and I got to go with you. Yeah. I get a yes and. I got to say, yeah. well, oh, yes. And that goes away. And we have to be in the moment now. Right. As real as we are in this conversation. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is just finding truth. You know, so is improv, but you're playing certain realities that maybe will will result in some so entertainment, was, hopefully. Was it the principle, once you started learning the principles of improv, that it became less scary for you, or? And just doing it. And just doing, doing it. Doing it over and over. Yeah, getting up and doing it. Um, it's still pretty, can be very scary, but if you just sort of let it go uh-huh. and, and uh, just play the truth of something, that works really well. Well, I think it's interesting. I I love this distinction you just made between uh, sort of motivating nervousness and and paralyzing nervousness. Because that was a sensation that I had when I was in high school and I was acting, um, which was absolutely nervous. But finding a way to channel that nerve, the nervous energy, into the performance. And at first, you're sort of skidding all over the track. Because there's so much nerves, you're having problems controlling yourself. I can't speak. But the, the more you do it, the more you realize, oh, this nervous energy is fuel. Like, mm-hmm. this can help me as long as I can relax enough that I'm not so tense that yeah. I'm just all over the mat. Yeah. Yeah, I'm f- yeah, focusing exactly on the work. Like, this is a great thing about acting is sometimes you just... just I mean, for me, the theater thing was just don't go up on my lines. <laughs> That's right. what I'm really nervous about. <laughs> but, your lines. But when I have a script in front of me, you know, it's like yeah. there. And uh, but it is. You're right. It's 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 letting that that energy be there, but not let it uh, uh, sometimes ruin your voice or ruin or overwhelm you. Know, you. Overwhelm you. Yeah. yeah. The, live the live stuff can do that. It can be yeah. very daunting. I mean, I, I really, it can be. If you, I think for people do who do it a lot, you get used to it. Like when I did it a ton, yeah. you get less and less. But I would always get a little nerve. I always have nerves before sure. doing any show. Yeah. Because um, stuff can go wrong. Yeah. And stuff can. Oh stuff gosh! Can and then, and then when I was doing keyboard stuff, what if, what if the thing doesn't work? What if the computer? What if a technical thing goes wrong? Yeah. Oh. You know, I have yeah. recordings of me where, like, something didn't go, and I just had to go, it's not working, <laughs> you know, and just, like, make a joke about it, yeah. you know, and just swing and with just the next thing, moving. and you just think, oh, my Lord, you better be ready for plan B, C, D, E, you know, and Z. You got to be ready to for, be fluid. Yeah. You know, be fluid, because sometimes something happens. Yeah. And so you're right. It, it, um I would be lying to you if I said I don't have, you know, any kind of nerves. I would, you know, when I go in and do stuff. Now it's a little less when we record. It's a little, I still get the nerves, but I know that we can always start again. You know, we can go, okay, let's go back. Let's go fix this. Yeah. It's less, yeah. And did you start doing stand-up before you started doing the improv? Yes. Wow. 
Yeah. That what inspired you to do that? Because that is some. Of I the just always was told courageous. like I always loved to do co- comedy, okay. but I never did it on stage. I did it right. in front of friends, right? And played around, and so yeah. And I was scared so that, to hell. That's a big distinction, right? Because I'm sure there are plenty of people, um, my listeners oh, yeah. included, who make funny voices for their friends. Oh my god, yeah. But then it's a different thing when you have to get on stage or in a booth and you have to perform for people. For real, one of my best friends is the funniest guy ever. Uh, this guy named Jace, and I said you should do it on stage. He's like, oh hell no, yeah. he would never do it on stage, you know. But he's so funny in person. Yeah, I mean, he says the funniest uh, turn of phrases, and he just makes fun of the right stuff. He has me in stitches, but he would not. It's a different animal to go up. Yeah, and actually. Set up a bit, tell a thing, and, you know... So what inspired you to do to, to, to that, and how did you first do it? Um, I, well, let's see, it was, again, first time was fifth grade with the puppet. Now, and I, I remember thinking, there's, there's, I enjoyed the laughter. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. It was nor, it was beyond me getting the attention, even though that's wonderful, but it wasn't mm. that. It was, it was, wow, it evoked something mm. Cool. What? You know, that's <laughs> magic. So you will suffer all of those nerves and the failings to get there again. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and then, you know, I did it in, in, you know, UCLA. So it was just around the dorms and around clubs and stuff and with these th- same friends. Would they have UCLA, open mic nights yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. UCLA, and we would also set up an act, UCLA Comedy oh, Club. Oh, so there was so a like, comedy club in we UCLA. We actually had a club that was great, and a lot of the guys are, uh, we're, we're all friends yeah. still. And a lot of them I'm working with on these shows. <laughs> On the animation show. Absolutely. Shows. Yeah, Steve yeah. Callahan is on Family Guy, and I mean, it just goes on. Chris Hardwick, I mean, to drop uh, names, I mean, it's ridiculous. Mike yeah, Furman, yeah. I mean, all these, I mean, it goes on and on and on, and, and there's so many. Um, but it's hilarious that they're still, they're out there doing it, you yeah. know? Um, and, uh, and we've all, you know, 10, 12 of us are still friends, pretty much, you know? And, and, uh, and it's just, um, it was a very, uh, it was a, I, I learned so much from them. Yeah. You know, I did. I learned, I, I, some of my best bits come from them even yeah. when I did that. I'm not kidding. Because we were allowed to, it was like a writer's room. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you got, Crispin? Oh, okay. You know, you'd be funny. Add this thing. Oh, okay. And you were allowed to do that. And then you would help me. We'd go up and do it. And, and we had like a great community to like start with. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a very, uh, you try finding a voice. The hardest thing, too, for that kind of work is to find your voice. Like, what kind of comedian you want to be? What kind of thing yeah. are you trying to say? I kind of veered away from it because as I got more and more into animation and voice acting, that kind of scratched that itch. Yeah. Uh, also, my stuff became very equipment heavy, and it was like I was my own roadie. And, you know, like it only worked as I was really got set up and, and devoted a lot of time to mm-hmm. it. And, and uh, so it never went away from me. It just was kind of one of those things that evolved. Yeah. When we find our voices, actors, voice actors, it's like, okay, you're a guy with the range, or you're the tough guy, or you're the, you know, maybe you're someone that is doing a lot of things. And, uh, and so that, then it's kind of come full circle for me. I've always been someone who's into a lot of different types of characters. Fred's story about hearing an audience laugh at his comedy for the first time highlighted a defining moment in his artistic journey. 
Having an audience react positively to one's performance can bring an actor a level of satisfaction that's hard to replicate any other way. Once a performer has experienced that, it often inspires them to overcome any obstacle in order to achieve that result again. It also makes the actor prioritize the audience's enjoyment of the experience over any fears or nervousness that the performer might feel. For a truly dedicated actor, nothing is more important than telling a story well and ensuring that the audience is immersed and entertained. Having such a single-minded focus can be a great way to overcome any anxiety associated with performing. If your highest priority is bringing the very best of your artistry to the character you're playing and the story you're working on, then there's very little room left in your mind for being self-conscious. You have more important matters to attend to, like how you can wow your audience by making your performance as sincere and believable as possible. I also love talking with Fred about the difference between useful nervous energy and destructive nervous energy. It's common for many actors to have some sort of nervousness before they perform, no matter how experienced they are. After all, each script is a new test of one's abilities. The key is to turn that nervousness into excitement. Instead of worrying about whether you're good enough or stressing about what could go wrong, try to be excited about the new skills you're going to develop and the new artistic territory you're going to explore. Doing so can help redirect that nervous energy and put it to positive use. Next time, in the third and final part of our interview, Fred and I discuss how important it is to understand the psychological nuances of different characters in order to portray them effectively. We also talk about how that applies to voice-matching established characters. We then end our discussion with Fred's advice to aspiring voice actors. He's got some great wisdom to share, so make sure to tune in. Until then, I wish you all the best in your voice acting endeavors. Take care. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.